From Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News, this is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. Well, it was another busy week at the legislature, and it is, dare I say it, an end of an era in the Idaho podcast wars. We'll get to that later, but let's talk about this week at the session. It's one of those weeks, and it's that time of the year in the session when there's just a lot of stuff going on on a daily basis. Yeah, I really picked up uh, this week at the at the session inside the state house this week. A lot of action on education bills and education policy. But one thing, again, that sort of dominated the week, I think I've been tracking now four major bills mm-hmm. that have yep. to do with school reopening or school closure authority or, or, or somewhere thereabouts, and uh, a lot of action on that front this week. And again, it's kind of one of the top stories um, as we move into the second half of the legislative session. And, and I think we're starting to see the new bills trickle off, and I think we're moving into moving more fully into budget setting, more fully into floor sessions, which are now going sometimes morning and afternoon both, at least on the House side of the rotunda, but really picking up. But school reopening continues to be a theme, right, Kevin? Right. And you were in the House as uh, Superintendent Sherry Ibarra finally got her school reopening bill through committee. I was watching the Senate on Thursday as they acted on a couple of bills Uh talk a little bit about uh, Superintendent Navarro's bill, and I'll talk a little bit about the Senate uh, coming on the other side. Absolutely. Let's start first with Superintendent Ibarra's bill. That's House Bill 175, if you're following along at home. And this is really her in-person learning bill that she began promoting before the legislative session. And it's been a difficult road thus far for Superintendent Ibarra. She's run into a lot of barriers, both inside and outside the state house. This bill has been it. Well, it was killed when it when the first version was originally up for introduction at the early part of this month. At the early part of February, uh, there had been a group of superintendents that had come out against it with concerns that it could usurp local control or basically force schools to remain open in unsafe conditions. So, Superintendent Ibarra and her team rewrote the bill. Her deputy, Marilyn Whitney, got it reintroduced. A superintendent met remotely with the school superintendents who had concerns about the bill. They agreed to remain silent or neutral on the rewritten version. And then finally, following a, a difficult hearing on Thursday of this week, uh, the House Education Committee advanced the bill kind of on a divided vote. I think it was maybe like 10 to 5, sent that to the House floor. And so now that bill is back on track. And really what the bill does is it's kind of a a statement from the legislature or from the superintendent really at this point. It's Mm -hmm. her bill. The legislature hasn't adopted it yet, obviously, but it's a statement from the superintendent encouraging schools to remain open during an emergency to the greatest extent possible once safety requirements have been developed at the local level. And so it was odd because A lot of the legislators who gave this bill a really hard time are some of the same ones who are vocally in favor of in-person learning. And so it was kind of a a hard debate to to follow. But some of the legislators complained that maybe this bill doesn't really have any teeth in it or go far enough that it's more of like a strongly worded statement. But I think there's also some context of, you know, there's been some disagreements between the legislature and the superintendent, particularly over the last two years 
with funding and the IT positions and a, a case where the superintendent uh, filed suit and went to the Supreme Court of Idaho last summer. And so there are some uh, difficult relationships uh, along the road. And um, But yeah, some of the legislators complained that maybe the bill wasn't uh, clear enough or they had problems with the way it was worded. At the end of the day, they maybe said it was a strong statement of support, but really didn't do anything in terms of you know, changing the law mm-hmm. to make right. anything new. But that's just one of four bills. Several others advanced this week, Kevin, and, and you you caught um, some bills that had to do with reopening both K-12 and higher education. Kind of this Yabara bill is at the beginning of its legislative journey, just coming out of House Education. You caught two other bills that are much farther along the legislative journey uh, through the Senate now, right? Well, yeah, and if you... If you blinked, you almost would have missed it. Right. The Senate on Thursday, it took 15 minutes for the Senate to pass the two school closure bills that we've been tracking all session, starting in the House and now on the Senate side. Uh, And these are bills that really you go back to August and even earlier than that. This was uh, this is legislation that uh, some lawmakers wanted to to address and get passed back in that special session back in the summer, but. School closure issues were not pl- placed on the agenda for that uh, that wild right. three-day special session we had back in August, but they were on the agenda this legislative session. The two bills, as you might remember, uh, one makes clear that uh, school closure decisions at the K-12 level will rest primarily with school boards and charter boards, not with health districts. Correct. That one passed the Senate very quickly. Uh, 31 to 3 was the final outcome, only three Democrats uh, voting against it. The other uh, school closure bill, this one addresses higher education, and what it does is it makes clear that the community college trustees, the elected local trustees, will make closure decisions for the two-year schools. The decision about four-year schools will rest with the State Board of Education, and that was the only real uh, sticking point in that bill. Uh, Some concerns about why is the state board, which is not an elected body, although it answers to an elected officer, um, why is the state board being put in charge of this? They're, they're, not, even, they're not local. Uh, the question was raised about whether this decision should still better rest with health districts. In the end, that bill passed on a party line vote, 27 to 7. Both of these bills now go to Governor Little for, uh, for final consideration. So that part of the school closure or school opening uh, debate is pretty much settled. But, you know, again, we're at that crazy time of the session where, you know, one hour we're writing about knives in school, another, you know, the next hour we're writing about uh, a tie vote on the Senate floor uh, with uh, Janice McGeehan breaking the tie. It, it's just every day is a new adventure at the State House. Even though we're not at the State House physically, it is still a, uh, a wild ride watching it and, and tracking it. Yeah, absolutely. It has been on the topic of school closure, just real briefly before we move on. One other school really opening bill that I caught was introduced Wednesday in the House Education Committee. Uh, This was pushed by uh, first year lawmaker, uh, Representative Cody Galloway, Republican of of Boise, I believe. Yeah, West Boise. Mm -hmm. Of West Boise, yeah. And she pushed a new bill, got it introduced on Wednesday that would allow parents to pull their students out of schools that don't reopen, and then those parents would receive a payment from 
the state. That bill did get introduced on Wednesday. There were a number of late edits. Uh, there were actually three amendments made as it was being introduced, and that's kind of a very unusual legislative process. We don't really see that um, that often. Chairman Lance Clow said because it's a little bit late in the legislative session uh, that they wanted to amend it on the fly rather than start over again. I didn't really follow that because they were really only at the introductory hearing anyways, and so it's not like they would have lost ground. Whatever. I do just want to say from 10 years of covering the legislative session, sometimes you hear people talk about bills that aren't ready for prime time yet, and I wonder maybe if that's the case here. Even legislators on both sides of the aisle from both political parties had questions about how the funding would work. Uh, the idea being if your school's not open and you pull your kid out, that you get state funding from the state. Um, and so Gary Marshall, a representative Gary Marshall, an influential uh, Eastern Idaho Republican on the committee, said he wanted to have a lot of questions answered about the funding. And he was very concerned that there could be schools that would remain open and not have any parents pull their kids out, but still be penalized by funding if, say, hundreds of other parents from from dozens of other school districts pulled their, their children out. So it, there were some questions about the funding piece of it and how it would work. It had an emergency clause, and so it would actually take effect on April 1 if it makes it all the way into law. Uh, it, it, now that it's been introduced, though, it is clear to come back for a full hearing. Um, but yeah, that that was one of the newer ones that was just introduced, but up to four then, major bills now. Yeah, and the, and the, the thing of it is now, uh, here we are as we record this on uh, February 26th, it is possible that a month from today, the legislature will be wrapping up. I mean, that's a that's a reasonable timetable when yeah. you think about the budget process, when you think about the, uh, you know, the time that it takes to run all of those spending bills uh, through both houses. Uh, they could be wrapping up in four weeks. And a bill that has just barely been introduced, any bill that has just barely been introduced, you know, time is of the essence. So any bill that you're seeing at this point that's just making its debut, uh, you know, odds are not very good, but we will track these bills and, and see what happens with them. Yeah, just a, a note on that, you know, coming in here Friday, February 26th, I just finished watching the stream of this morning's House Education Committee meeting. They introduced two new bills again on Friday, and Chairman Lance Klaus said those were probably two of the later uh, new bills up for introduction. Uh, there probably won't be too many more new bills up for introduction before House Education this year, although the committee is allowed to introduce new bills up to the very end. And even with you talking, and you're exactly right, that with perhaps a month to go, it's kind of late in the session for a new bill to advance. There's always this late season magic, right, that we see where rules are suspended and uh, something can really go from a bill being introduced to, you know, passing both chambers within about 24 hours when you get to the very end of the session and it really gets uh, kind of wild and loose. Uh, and we see that every single year. Um, when the legislature wants to move quickly or more precisely when legislative leadership wants to move quickly, things can move very quickly. So you can have something emerge in the final final days, final hours of a legislative session and get through. But 
something that basically something that basically no one will have read uh and they voted into law but yeah that's uh, another conversation for a, an, another day but anyways th- the main topic i wanted to talk about was these reopening bills but there were several other legislative bills and hearings that you watched kevin this week maybe just kind of go through the cliff's notes versions of some of the big bills we're watching uh, as we're into the second half of the session now well, I think we kind of have to start looking to next week and yep. some of the some of the issues, some of the legislation that we saw this week that we will see again and some of the things that are on the hopper for next week. I mean, you were watching uh, House Bill 215 and the House Education Committee. And this one, I think from a policy perspective, is probably the most far, maybe the most far reaching education policy bill of the session. This is the one uh, that would create uh it would continue the strong family, strong students uh, grant program, but it would also create a private school scholarship program. And that's uh, bound to be controversial. That has been a, a sensitive issue at the state house for several years. That came out of house committee. Uh, we would expect a vote on the house floor, maybe the early part of next week. Yeah, there was a long debate uh, during the hearing in the house education committee on that yeah, the Strong Families Grant Program, you know, very popular with families last year. It basically allowed them to apply for a share of federal stimulus money to pay for education technology, online connectivity, uh, things of that matter. And it was very popular. There was more demand than grant funding available. So phase one of the bill uh, would basically revive that program. But phase two and of that's the not bill... That's controversial no, part of the bill. No. Sound like. I mean, I think everybody's kind of on board with no grant program. When phase two is what's getting the attention. Program, then you get into, then you get into a debate. It's the scholarship program, and it may tie into that U.S. Supreme Court decision that we saw out of yeah, Montana right. last summer that basically ruled that a Montana state scholarship would need to be available uh, to students attending all schools, including private schools, including private religious schools. And the issue is, Idaho is one of a a few dozen states or a couple dozen states, they call it a Blaine Amendment. Uh, You don't need to focus on that term so much if that's confusing, but basically what it does is it prohibits the state from spending state funds on uh, religious institutions, including private schools and all kinds of things of that nature. But that Montana Supreme Court case appears to open the door for some discussions about that. But some of the opponents of this House Bill 215, the Idaho bill, you know, just came right out and said that it's a voucher bill masquerading as a grant bill. Uh, Representative Wendy Horman, a Republican from Idaho Falls who sponsored House Bill 215, said it's not a voucher bill because the scholarships would go directly to the families for them to use, not directly from the state to, say, a private school or whatever. So there's some debate about that, but a fascinating debate Lots of interests and, uh, you know, uh, potentially controversial. But what, what's your read on that one, Kevin? Well, I think uh, I think it probably has a pretty high likelihood of passing the House. Yeah. Um, I think just by the, the makeup of the House, I, I think a bill like that is going to pass fairly easily. I'm looking forward down the road to see what happens with it in, in the Senate because, uh, you know, just kind of, trying to get a sense of what may happen in the Senate Education Committee. I, I think uh, that may be the, the big test for this bill. Um, you know, Senator Lori Dan Hartog is one of the co-sponsors of the bill. She sits on Senate Education. Uh, Senator Stephen Thing, the chairman of the committee, has been uh, pretty outspoken on 
in, in favor of, of anything in terms of school choice, in terms of giving you know, parents more choices, more options in education. Yeah, but we'll, we'll watch and see what happens with the rest of that committee. I think it's going to be an interesting process. We may be getting ahead of ourselves, but I don't think so. I think this passes the House, and I think the showdown heading down the road at some point in the next uh, few days or weeks will, will occur in Senate education. All right. Before we move on to next week, I wanted to see if you wanted to mention a bill that you caught at the beginning part of this week that had to do with expulsion requirements, and then we can move on um, to sort of the week ahead. Yeah, quickly, uh, this was a bill that uh, came up in uh, in state affairs, actually, and it, it was a really interesting aspect of school safety law. As, as state law stands right now, uh, school boards essentially have no choice but to expel a student who brings a knife to school. And what Senate State Affairs heard was testimony uh, from a parent in the Bonneville School District, also from the superintendent of the Bonneville School District, uh, Scott Wollstonehume, saying that what you have right now is a situation where there is no, no option for the school board to you know, exercise any kind of discretion. Uh, the uh, a school had to suspend a second grader who brought a knife to school as a present to a classmate. Uh, according to the mother who testified, uh, this this young girl had no sense of this being a weapon, uh, had no you know, sinister intent whatsoever. Uh, Scott Wollstone, whom the superintendent talked about, a case of a student who showed up in the fall had a knife in a coat pocket that, you know, a coat that hadn't been worn since the summer, since a camping trip. And, you know, you're on a camping trip, you have a pocket knife with you. Um, I heard about student, that case, actually, yeah, in Bonneville. Yeah, yeah. And so the student, you know, finds out, uh, you know, there's a pocket knife in, in, in the coat, goes to the school resource officer, turns it in, and says, you know, you know here, you know, I got to be up front with you, and was, was expelled because of it. And what Wollstone Hume said is, you know, Here's a kid who did the right thing. Could have hid the knife in the locker and nobody would have been any the wiser. Does the right thing, goes to the SRO, gets expelled. So it's an interesting aspect of the school safety issue. Uh, the bill would not change the expulsion requirements for a student who brings a firearm onto school grounds. So we're watching that bill and, and you know, I believe it's been amended now in the Senate and I, we'll see what happens with it on the Senate floor. I, believe it's it's looming for a potential vote uh, any day now but we'll we'll keep watching it but we're also at the time of the session clark as you know um it's budget season and, and that's really where our focus is going to start to turn uh it did a little bit this week some of the education budgets smaller education budgets uh came up in jpac but wednesday is a big day the the higher ed budget and the community college budget will both be uh up for debate yeah, you wrote your big analysis uh, about that this week, and it really leads us into next week. But we've talked about this before on this show in the last year. We've talked about it even in the last few weeks. But uh, this looming showdown over the higher education budgets, and we talked about how difficult last year it was. They killed – it took three higher education budgets. I believe they killed the first two on the House floor. Does that sound right, Kevin? Yeah, it took till the third chance yep. to get a uh, a higher ed budget through uh, through the house. And as I wrote in my analysis piece on on Thursday, you know, if you're if you're looking for an over under uh, for the legislative endgame, that's probably as good a place to start as any. I think it's gonna be really difficult 
to get a higher ed budget through the House, because if anything, I think the House is more conservative than it was a year ago. I think the elections shifted the balance of power in the House even further to the right. So Yeah, it literally I, shifted it. We have a 58-12 balance now between Republicans and Democrats. Uh, so yeah, two and seats. More, and I think more hardline conservatives in that, uh, yep. in that Republican caucus. And I think that may even be more important. But I think it's going to be tough to get a higher ed budget uh, through the House. I think JFAC, I think you will get an agreement about a higher education budget. What I've been watching with JFAC so far, and not just with the education budgets that we've seen, STEM Action Center, CTE, but even earlier today, uh, Friday, uh, JFAC uh, took up the public uh, public television budget. Yeah. Uh, Priscilla Giddings and Ron Nape, the two you know real conservative hardliners uh, from the House who are now on JFAC, uh, voted to zero out the, the public uh, television budget. They were the only, only ones who voted for that. Uh, a budget passed uh, on a 16 to 2 vote. You saw a similar thing uh, earlier in the week with the STEM Action Center budget. So I think you've got, you know, I think you've got a pretty good core of, uh, you, know, you know, moderate to center right Republicans and Democrats who will agree on budgets for higher education and for the community colleges, but especially when that higher ed budget hits the house floor, I think it's going to be a showdown. Yeah. Just like it, just like it was last year, but, and we've seen it ramping up. We've seen, we've already seen uh, the college and university presidents uh, speak at least remotely during the legislative session. So we've seen them interact with the education committees, with the joint budget committee, but we've seen these continuing discussions, um, about higher education programming and funding, and it, a lot of it continues to come back to um, what legislators call some of the social justice programs, but it's some of the diversity and inclusivity programs, particularly uh, at Boise State University. Um, right, Kevin? Right, and, and there are some higher ed policy bills that have surfaced this legislative session. There's the one that would split the higher education budget into four budgets, and what the conservatives want to do here is is single out universities that they think are advancing too much of a social justice agenda, basically uh, trying to single out Boise State when you read between the lines here. Yeah. Uh, there's a bill that would allow students to opt out of, of fees. Uh, yep. That, too, has a Boise State nexus because uh, Julie Yamamoto, the uh, Caldwell Republican who is co-sponsoring that bill, has said that uh, a nephew of hers has been forced to pay fees at Boise State that really don't benefit him, so she's pushing the opt-out idea. We saw another version of a bill that would prohibit uh, college and university professors from providing extra credit for students to vote. Uh, none of these bills have gotten a full hearing in a committee yet. And again, going back to what we were talking about before. We're, it's getting late. We're, we're getting late in the session. So those policy bills may not see the light of day. They may not get a full hearing in committee. They may not get out of committee, but you got to pass budget bills in order to go home. So I think the budget bills become the place where legislators can air their grievances about the higher ed system. So maybe not on Wednesday, but definitely uh, when this hits the, the House floor, get ready for a battle. Yeah, we know there will be red no votes on the higher education budgets when they reach the House floor. The question will be, will there, there be more than 35? Will be will there be thirty five or more? Uh, yep. 
But yeah, a good place, a lot of news this week. We weren't able to get to everything, but a good place to stay caught up is the homepage. It's www.idahoednews.org. We had more coverage from the legislature, more coverage about school reopenings, about superintendent searches. Um, Kevin, you wrote just a little bit kind of about um, an upcoming election day that may not be on everybody's radar, but probably should be, uh, especially uh, when it comes to education. Right, 45 school districts and $298 million worth of uh, bond issues and levies on the ballot. That's March 9th, so that's a week and a half away, but we have the roundup on our website so you can look and see if there are elections coming up in your uh, local school district. It's a big election day. It's not the biggest election day we've seen for, for school elections, but certainly it's a biggie, and we will have full coverage of it uh, after the election, but you can get caught up and see uh, what's on the ballot. Yeah, and that March March 9th date is one of the four allowable election days in the state of Idaho. There is that bill that would get rid of the August date and bring it down to three uh, election right. days for the state of Idaho if that advances and passes. Right, and, and historically March has been the biggest day for, for school elections, and you know this is no exception. Yeah, the only other two on the calendar, obviously, are the primary and the general, uh, the May and the November elections, right? And for now, still August. But we'll and for still August, that would be the fourth, but that one's the one that's targeted by the bill. But that covers the four, uh, March, May, August, and November. Well, let's get caught up on other stuff that uh, has really nothing to do with the legislature, but has a lot to do with uh, Idaho Education News and has a lot to do with this uh, podcast. Uh, Clark, uh, you... You made some news yourself this week. Yeah, um, I, I've accepted a, a new job with a new nonprofit online reporting journalism project that's going to launch here in Boise in the spring. And so next week is my last week at Idaho Education News after just over eight years. And today will be my last day uh, on the podcast. So we can talk about that in uh, in a minute. But yeah, um, you know, Kevin and I have been here almost since the beginning uh, since what January 2013? Does that sound right? right? That, was the, that was when we got started on this. So it's it's been an eight year ride, and it's been about a five year ride here just on, on the podcast. Just on the but, podcast, uh, yeah. running out of gas just before episode 250. By the way, that's uh, poor form. Closer, poor form on my part. Uh, not that anyone's counting, but I think this is episode 246. So uh, poor was, poor form on me for running out of gas uh, just shy. Of 250, or for skipping those Thanksgiving episodes over the last four years, that also we could have done four podcasts that nobody would have listened to, and we would have gotten to them. We would have gotten to them. No, but you and I, Kevin, Jennifer Swindell, our editor, uh, the CEO, launched Idaho Education News, and then you and I were the first two employees that came on in in January 2013 for that launch, and it was it felt very new and, and different back. Then uh, and it's been amazing to see it grow. It was just the three of us back then. Now our staff is it. I want to say eight, eight. Um, yeah. and it's just amazing. And uh, so I've really been reflecting over what these last eight years have meant. Uh, that allowed me to move to Boise and put down roots here. Um, and uh, I, yeah, I wouldn't have left for just anything. But I have a a pretty cool opportunity that came about, um, you know, just recently and. Uh, it's so new that it doesn't even have a name, but we're going to be launching this new site in the spring. Uh, it's not going to 
Um, I'm not going to be covering education, but I am going to be covering state politics and uh, voter issues, civic engagement leading up to the big 2022 election. And it's going to be a cool team. Uh, I posted a little bit about it on my Twitter account. Christina Lords uh, is going to be my editor. Some really talented Idaho journalists uh, are going to be joining uh, her there. Um, Audrey Dutton uh, of the Idaho Statesman and Kelsey Mosley, uh, who has been with the Idaho Press and covered legislative sessions previously, also going to be a part of the team. So looking forward um to that, but just really grateful and thankful for my experience at Idaho Education News and, and being able to watch, you know, watch everything grow and, and progress from nothing and not really knowing if there would even be a, a second year uh, for Idaho Ed News to eight years in and, and looking strong. And, and Jennifer just expanded our staff uh, late in, in 2020. And it's just been amazing to see where it started and, and where it is today. And, uh, and so it's been a little bit more, you know, overwhelming than, than I expected. It all seems so real now, but it's been a lot of fun. And, you know, I've really enjoyed um, covering education and being a part of this project and meeting so many educators and administrators and stakeholders and parents and students. And, you know, I haven't been able to do that in the last year, but one of the most fun parts of my job for the first seven years was going out and visiting classrooms and getting to talk to teachers and getting to talk to students. And I really, really enjoyed that. And I know Ed News will be getting back to that when it's safer to do that. Right. And so first and foremost, Clark, it's been, it's been a thrill. It's been an honor uh, launching this and it's been, it's been great working with you. Um, you've done wonderful work with us uh, these eight years, getting this thing started helping to build this thing. Um, it, it, it's going to be very different without you. And uh, it's been, you know, it's been so much fun working with you and you know, learning about education with, with you as we've been uh, building this project. So you know, I'm, I'm going to miss working with you, but I'm really excited for you and for this new project, because I think what it validates is what we all started, the three of us started here at Idaho Ed News eight years ago. Uh, the idea that you can do a smaller, independent web-based publication and really specialize and really take a deep look and, and do some of the, the in-depth storytelling that, that that readers really want and really demand in these uh, in these times. Absolutely. We've been able to do it here, and you guys are going to be able to do this uh, with with this new project and with this you know terrific team that you're putting together. Yeah, I think it's it's good news for journalism. I mean, as I kind of posted on my Facebook page, I I do have mixed emotions. I said I had no mixed emotions, but I, I, I will miss working with you. That's the mixed emotions part of this. But for, uh, for from a journalistic standpoint, I have nothing but good feelings about this because it, it validates that there are going to be new places for us to get information, for readers to stay current on what's happening, in, in this case, in what's happening in state government and politics. And the fact that the four of you are, are launching this, the fact that you're able to continue to do you know, long-form journalism and stay in Boise doing it is, it, it's all really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you so much. And, uh, you know, we're very much following in the spirit of Idaho Education News. In 2013, it felt like the Wild West joining a small newsroom, nonprofit business model, grant-funded, online only. Well, that's what my new venture is going to be. Online only, small newsroom, 
grant funded nonprofit mindset that felt like the wild west in 2013 which almost sounds silly uh, but Jennifer and, and the whole team at Idaho Education News has shown how successful that can be and so we're very much following in that same spirit we'll, we'll have more to I, announce I to later the, I get to the point where Idaho Education News would be the legacy startup right <laughs> that's kind of where we are but you know the, the good thing about startups, whether it's this one or, or the one that you're going to, um, we can be a lot more flexible. We can yeah. react a lot more quickly to what readers want and demand and need. Uh, we can be, you know, nimble is such an overused word, but it really is uh, the opportunity to be, you know, much more, much quicker on the draw, much more uh, responsive to reader wants and demands. And, and I just think of what we've all done this past year in response to this pandemic, the, the flexibility that we've all shown really, really validates the, the, the model, really validates the, the delivery, the approach, uh, the, the, you know, and I think you guys are going to have nothing but success in that same vein. Yeah. I, yeah. Thank you so much. And really, I mean, so much credit needs to go to our readers and listeners um, who we do it for, but you know, that's the reason why we were able to grow and keep doing it. And so thank you so much to everyone who's checked out the homepage, who's listening to the podcast, who's followed us on social media. And so that's really, really cool. Um, I don't have too much about the new project that I can announce until later in March, but I want to give you Kevin, the last two minutes of the show uh, before we cut it off. Uh, this is going to be my last episode of extra credit, but I wanted to uh, let you talk about kind of where things go from here. And if you wanted to uh, talk about who's going to be joining you in the future, uh, very rewarding being on the Extra Credit Podcast. The pay is not so good, but yeah, these things balance out. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, you know, we're not in it for the money here on the podcast. But so if I can be so bold as to uh, take a point of personal privilege to, uh, to coin a phrase from the old podcast wars, um, we will have a podcast. I will have a podcast uh, coming back here probably in the next few weeks. We're going to go dark uh, for a few weeks and, and try to figure out next steps here. Uh, this has been so much fun to do, and it's been such a, you know, it's been such, it, it's been so informative for me, just us having these conversations these past five years. I've learned so much, and I hope listeners who've been along for this have learned as well. I will take it in a little bit slightly different direction. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like or when we're going to launch. It's going to probably have a new name. We may come up with some new theme songs, some new theme music, just to kind of kind of mix up uh, the sound a little bit. But we will be back in a few weeks, and um, you know, you may be back. You may get to 250 yet, Clark, because one of the things I'm thinking about in terms of guests is. Uh, trying to get in journalists uh, from around the, the community who are covering things that are interesting, who, who can talk a little bit about, you know, about politics and, and, and about elections and about, you know, this, you know, we've talked about it for five years, this nexus between education policy and education politics. So you may be back. In fact, I hope you will be back. Yeah, thank you. I, I would love to be back. And, and for people, if if they don't really know us, but they listen and they're wondering, we are friends and we've talked about we're looking forward to when things get a little bit better. We used to love to meet and watch soccer together, uh, particularly the U.S. soccer team, men's and women's. And we're looking forward to that World again. Cup qualifying will begin in the fall, which should be just about the time yep. when things will start to feel hopefully a lot more normal. So yep. we can 
we can commiserate over the uh, inconsistent U.S. men's national team <laughs> over over a pint and, and get caught up. But uh, that's definitely something I'm looking forward to. Yeah, very much looking forward to it. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you so much uh, for everything and, and being uh, my colleague and, and, and co-conspirator in this venture over the last eight years and on the show the last five. I really appreciate it. I want to thank everybody and all the listeners and all the readers. It means a lot, and I'm just thrilled that I get to stay right here in Idaho. But as always, thanks so much. Uh, for listening every week. I have a lot of fun uh, and I'm sure going to miss it. Uh, But have a great week. I'm excited to see what Kevin does next. In the meantime, I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Stay safe. Have a good week. And extra credit is out.